This is Motor Mania on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, it's uh, Motormania, and you're live on Dubai Eye, and I'm your host, Damien Reed. For those who don't know me, I'm a motoring journalist, broadcaster, and commentator, and I'm here along with the other experts we'll have this morning to give you car advice and keep you updated on the world of wheels. That will take you right through until noon. Now, we've got a bit of a talker. We're going to have a bit of a chat about uh, over the course of the next two hours. And uh, an interesting uh, stat that came through, uh, a piece that came through from a senior police officer in Dubai um, suggesting that uh, we should drop the age of driving license in Dubai. Is 18 years old too late to get your first driving license in Dubai? And when did you get your first driving license? Now, this came off the back of a senior police officer who said that young people of 17 should be allowed to drive a car in the UAE. Currently, the law permits that uh, those aged 17 to apply for a, um, a motorcycle license, but they must wait until they are 18 to learn to drive a car. In a video that was shared online by Dubai Police, Major General Mohammed Saif al-Safid, the chairman of the Federal Traffic Council, said, and I quote, he said, we know that driving a motorcycle is surrounded with dangers, while driving a car is much safer. Major General Safin added that when many schoolchildren finish their studies at 17, some have no choice but to get around by motorcycle, even though it is a more dangerous mode of transport. Now, according to Dubai Police data, more than 50% of road fatalities involve drivers who have held a driving licence for less than five years. So will lowering the age by a year make a difference? We have a poll running on Instagram, and uh, we're also going to ask you here too, um, what do you think? Is 18 too young to uh, to get your driver's licence in the UAE? We have uh, an 18-year-old Dubai resident who grew up here. Now, he's off, off the back of this Instagram poll saying 72% of people believe they should keep driving licence at 18. Matteo Masawi, I hope I've got that right, Matteo, um, you're on the line. Hi, thank you, thank you for having me, Mr. Reid. Yes, you you spelled my name correctly. Yes. Hey, thank you. <laughs> so, tell <laughs> me, um, you started driving at the age of twelve, and uh, and you've been doing a bit of motor racing as well now. Yes, well, I, I mean, I've been driving, of course, uh, not on the road because that would not be legal. <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, and and in other countries, in my home country, um, and then yeah, so I, I developed my driving abilities on track uh, because I've been racing for almost 10 years now so it, it you know it gave me the basics of driving the pedal accelerator control of the car and then a bit more than that as well but not not for road usage yeah and what did what about the idea of perhaps making it part of the school curriculum i mean would you have gone down there instead of choosing a, a sport or or something say okay i'm going to decide to be a better driver so uh, if, if racing was an option, or well, no? I mean, t- in terms of just just honing your driving skills, going to a place like the Autodrome or to a kart track or somewhere else where they, where it makes it basically as part of your school curriculum on learning the basics on how to get your head around a vehicle and 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 working out um, you know stopping distances, the safety aspects of buckling up and the basics before you head down and start getting your license at eighteen. Yeah, well, actually. I- that in, I'm in the French system, a French education system, and we have something like this actually to to educate um, at a young age, and at, I think when you're 16 or something like that, it's called the ASSR. It's basically a uh, test that teaches you the braking distances and all you should know so that you can pa- apply for your license in France. 
So this, yes, actually, I think that would be an amazing idea for uh, local driving, UAE driving, uh, because it would give basics and an idea of what to uh, expect out of driving in Dubai. Yeah. Now you've um, you've obviously you, you've taken your, your love of cars into your business. You have now have a a car detailing business in Dubai. Tell us a, a little bit about what you what you're doing down there. Yeah. So I've been doing this detailing business for properly for two years, but then car washing for more than ten years almost in my community. And then now detailing, I do everything from my house. I have my own Google page. It's Matthew's Detailing Garage. And uh, it, it works well. So my the passion, my love of cars has been there since I was a kid. Uh, I've loved working on cars since I can't even remember. Today I'm currently working on my on my own classic. I have a 1968 Ford Mustang, which I'm uh, very very excited to finish, so I can be able to drive it on the road. Um, but cars is something that's always been close to my heart. Yes. Fantastic. And do you, do you find that, um, that that your experience getting behind the wheel earlier is now making you a, a better driver in terms of how, I mean, you say you've got the, the classic car. You have to be sympathetic when you drive these cars. Has it given you that mechanical sympathy that you need to, to ensure that you're not abusing the car and you're treating it correctly? Absolutely. I mean, regarding classic cars, it's a whole other experience. You can't treat it the same way that you're treating one of your modern cars. Classic cars are going to break. This is this is guaranteed. It's it's very reliable when it's well maintained, but at some point something is going to break, and you have to expect it. And you can't just floor it and do everything that you would normally do with a normal car uh, with a classic car. That that wouldn't work. And driving, my whole experience from driving since a young age has I can see it applying today uh, of my driving today. I can tell that it helped me a lot. I have a lot more reflexes. My reflexes are not I wouldn't say fully developed as if I was like a, a forty year old experienced driver but uh definitely it did, it did help me a lot and uh when i when i compare my driving to my friends driving i, I can see the difference hence why i usually don't really uh, go in a car with my friends <laughs> now also i'd like to get your opinion as as a young guy who's got a, a classic car you have to concentrate on things it's a manual car there's not a whole lot of you know uh onboard systems to help you through so yeah. when you find people who are on their phone and texting in the car and all that sort of thing i mean you can't do that in an older car because you're busy just trying to keep the car on the road right yep absolutely well i mean my car has been uh from factory with certain aids and add up so it's not um, as horrible as a, of a driving experience as it normally would be. But yes, definitely. I mean, I, I would never be on my phone, uh, even just a normal car, because don't be, don't, don't uh, be on your phone and drive. It's dangerous, but, uh, you, you can't lose, you can't afford losing focus, uh, with these cars because it, it's going to be, uh, dangerous if you do. There is no security system, no airbags. If in case touch wood, nothing happens, but in case something would happen. Great, fantastic. Well, it's great to have you on, on board, Matteo, and uh, and uh, thanks so much for your input on the on the survey. And uh, good luck with the with the with the business, and good luck with the Mustang. Fix it or flip it. And I'm joined now by Matthew Davison of Algo Driven, who will give you some on-the-spot valuations. Now, all you've got to do is just send in this information. What we need, we need the car brand, the model, the year, the mileage and any other details that you'd like to add to um, and, and send it to us or via the ARN app. And on the line now, we have Matthew Davison. Matthew, good morning. Damien, how are you? 
I'm very good. I'm very good. So it's 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 great to uh, be back on the air. Yeah, normally we're we're topping and tailing the show, and now uh, you're here hosting. So congratulations! It's great news. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. And uh, the weather's getting a bit cooler now, so it's time to take some cars out. Uh, you're never shy to uh, to get behind the wheel. What have what have you been up to in the last few weeks? Yeah, I have. I've done a bit of um, uh, vehicle testing the last couple of weeks. We'll we'll start with one that. Uh, Land Rover Altea uh, gave to Algo Driven, which is the new Land Rover Defender 110. We took the P400, which and that's the mild hybrid. I think you've you've driven this yourself, haven't you? Uh, not the hybrid. I've I've driven the Defender 110 both here and uh, and back in Australia through through some some rocky stuff. So, yeah, I, I I tell you what, the look is growing on me. Yeah, me. I I'm actually. I mean, I was quite attracted to it at the beginning anyway, but I love the car. Um, it's just so usable. I couldn't believe all the storage space. I mean, cup holders and compartments just everywhere, power options, and not just, you know, regular power options, but even like modern USB-C. Uh, I, just, I just felt it's such a usable vehicle. Do you think, though, it's, it's filling the, the, the space that was left by the previous Defender, or is it moving into a whole new segment? No, I, I don't. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy around this. I kind of feel that the old Defender was sunset. I think it is what it is, and they're going to remain absolute classics for years and years to come. But the only correlation I see is the name. I mean, I, I feel that they're different vehicles. Uh, I, I feel this is more of a replacement for the the LR4 than um, than the actual Defender itself. I mean, I know the Discovery technically replaced the LR4, well, it was known as the Discovery in Europe, but this feels like the 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 evolution of the LR4 um, in in the UAE uh, for me, anyway. But I, I think it's it's just a luxury, uh, all singing, all dancing vehicle that you can go off road in, that you can go to the mountains in, but you know you can equally do the school run in. It's I think they've I think they've done a great job, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm, I actually think you're right. I mean, it's, it's it has created a, a new segment, um, but I think I still think there's room for for where the old Defender was, and that's where I think the things like the Ineos Grenadier, which I believe is coming here, is uh, is going to step in nicely. So I'm dying to get my hands on that as well. That will be a uh, be an interesting one to uh, to get into, very much like the old Defender in style and and uh, and its and its purpose. And I think you all know this better than me, but the, the new Defender is the most sought-after vehicle in Australia, apparently, at the moment. It's everybody is chasing to get this car, and, and, I, and I think it's going to equally be a big hit here. I know there's not huge amounts of them on the pre-owned market, and I, and I think there's a waiting list at Altea for new ones as well. So, yeah, for the next few years, I think this is going to be a hot ticket. Yeah, and just quickly, what do you think about our uh, our chat this morning about the uh, lowering the driving age that was suggested by Dubai Police? Do you think that's a, that's a smart move? Uh, well, I look at it from my point of view. In the UK, we get to drive at 17. I know there's some states in the US that will go as low as 15, I believe. I think 17 is 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 fine. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go much lower. Uh, 16 for me is still a little bit um, too too young, but I think 17 is is perfectly okay. 17, 18 is a great time to start driving. So uh, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I think we have pretty robust systems here in the UE to make sure people go through the the proper teaching and the proper training before they get their license. Um, so I'm I'm for it, um, but I wouldn't want to go much lower than 17. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's early days yet with our Instagram poll, but already we're seeing uh, 80% of the people say that we should keep it at 18 so far. So we're going to keep the lines open on that one for the, for the course of the show. Uh, interested to see how that's, uh, how that's going to play out. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. I think people will look at their personal circumstances. Some people are much more mature at 17 than others. So, I mean, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. And a lot of the time, the first car tends to be uh, provided or, or certainly the assistance for the money comes from parents. So I think the parents that don't feel as comfortable letting their 17-year-olds drive, they're still going to be uh, in the driving seat, if you pardon the pun. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, we're going to cross to our first caller, and we've got Mark now live on the line. Mark, um, good morning, and uh, what have you got for us this morning? Good morning. Um, so I have a Audi S6 uh, 2016 model, um, uh, full service history. Uh, originally, it was actually an Al Namuda management car. And then I bought it 18 months ago. It's done 107K um, and in really good condition. I'm just, uh, due to changing circumstances, looking to, to maybe get something a little bit more sensible now and just trying to get a feel for what we think it's probably worth. Yeah, nice. S6, I tell you what, nice car. Um, pretty good mileage. What, what do you think, Matthew? Well, it's funny because these cars um, pre-pandemic uh, had actually started to drop. Uh, in value. And, and we know that we've talked a lot about this on the show that used car values have risen lately. But that car, even with those kilometers, will probably be early 100,000, something like 102, 105,000. I would probably put that out on the market at, say, 109, because it looks quite attractive at that price, and then look to close with a potential buyer for around 105. There you go. What do you, what do you think, Mark? Is that, uh, is that something you, you're, you're happy with? be fair that's pretty much on the money so we well, i have got a bid from uh, a, a local or sorry a, a sort of some sort of platform at 105 which i'm quite happy with so uh, you've definitely put my mind to rest that we're in the right ballpark yeah that's what we're here for good to hear we're we going to cross now to uh, fatima who got in touch with us a little earlier and uh, we'll see what fatima's got to say hello i'm fatima i have a land cruiser car it's a 2007 model purdy color and limited edition I drive it for 210,000 kilometers, and I drive every day from Umm al-Qawain. So I want to know how much will it cost if I want to sell it, and I want to get a new car. What are your advices for a car that handles more kilometers? Okay. So, look, we, 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 we know, Damien, these cars, they'll just hold their value forever and ever. Um, particularly the Land Cruisers, is always, there's always going to be a market for them. Higher kilometers, yes, but I still think that car's worth forty to forty-five thousand. Yeah, it's it, it should pull pretty good value. I would have thought um, it's it's a fairly sustainable vehicle in that regard. Yeah, and and moving on to her question, uh, you know, we both know um, you've got a lot of options. I mean, if she's buying brand new, I mean, where do you start now? I mean, if you want if you want seven seats, I presume that, you know, going from, from a vehicle like the Land Cruiser with seven seats, uh, you've got so much choice in the market. I mean, we even just talked about the, the Defender, which would possibly be an option. Um, yeah. But, this, but you know, going, going down to the kilometers, I, I suppose you also want something that's going to hold on to its re- residual value in the future if you are piling on the kilometers. So I would say stick with um, the Japanese brands, again, possibly even stick with Land Cruiser itself 
um, look at others like the Patrol. I mean, both of them now, the, the Land Cruiser 300's out, um, and that will hold its value for a few years being a new model. And also, during the last 18 months, a new Patrol came out as well. Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. So we've got, uh, thank you very much for that, Fatima. Appreciate that one. On the line now, we've got uh, Ehab. Ehab, what have you got for us? Yeah, hi, uh, Matt and Damien. I have a, a Toyota Previa, 2.4 litres. It's a 2011 model, and it has 400,000 kilometers. Um, just interested to see how much it's worth if I want to, you know, uh, uh, dispose of it. Yeah, sure, sure, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of a lot of kilometers. Luckily, these Toyotas, they can handle it, but anybody looking at that is going to see that as, as the, the biggest red flag Um Look, if it had average kilometers, these cars sell for about 20. Um, so I think you're, you're, you're looking at probably with those kilometers, 10,000, you might even get 12 at an absolute stretch. But if it's running really well, but uh, I, I would say my gut feeling tells me 10 to 12. Great. What are you, you're, you're okay with that one that you have? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair value for it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, Thanks very much, Ehab, and um, we, uh, we'll be back with a little bit more Fix It or Flip It in just a few moments' time. We're back in the driver's seat. On Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, we're with you right the way through till 12 o'clock. This is Motormania, and I'm Damien Reed. We're keeping you company right through until noon. Matthew Davison. How are you? Good, 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 good. Right, we've got, uh, we're going straight into... Uh, another caller, and it is Laurie. Laurie, what have you got for us? Yes, good morning, guys. Uh, nice to talk to you. I have a 2014 BMW X5 registered January 15, I think it is. Seven seats, tow bar, white with the dark cinnamon leather inside. Never raced or rallied. Excellent condition. And just wondering what it's worth on the market. Yeah, morning, Laurie. This car actually... Morning. Right under 100K is a great time to sell it. When, when these get over 100,000 kilometers, people start to think about maintenance, bills, etc. on these bigger V8 engines. I, I think the value of this car is probably 95. Maybe I would put this car out on the market at 99,000, again, to be under that psychological number of 100,000. But, yeah, I think for, for, this, for this age and this kilometers, that's where it's at, just under 100,000 dirhams. Okay, I've got um, some specially imported wheels I put on it that make the car look quite smart. They're black, so it's a nice contrast with the black against the white. And it's yeah, got the dark and yeah. anthracite interior roof and sunroof, etc. Yeah, when, when I see vehicles like this, what I say to people is that this is what's going to separate you from other cars on the market. Remember, it's a seven-year-old car now, and there will be other ones available for people to look at. So... What you need to do is be the first one through the front door. So if you if you can make some really beautiful photographs of this car and put it online, people are going going to gravitate towards your car ahead of others, and that's that's what's more important at this stage when you've got a vehicle of this age and kilometres. But it sounds lovely, and I think the the price uh, is 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 around uh, late nineties. As I said, I would put this car on for ninety nine. Okay, many thanks and. Um yeah, that, that's appreciated. Much appreciated. Okay, 
have a nice day, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much, Laurie. Yeah. Uh, we've got a text message, too, from Malik, and he has a Chevy Cruze LTZ, 2015 model, 108,000 kilometres. He says it's in perfect condition. He wants to know, Matthew, should he sell it or should he hang on to it? Uh, it's a great question at the moment because these small cars, you know, small cars like the Cruze, they're, they're quite desirable at the moment. What was the year, Damien? Uh, 2015. Yeah, look, I mean, to answer his first question, should he hang on to it? I I would consider it at the moment because value-wise, I would put that car probably 22, 23K, something like that. Um, And what are you going to change out of it if it's running well and you're enjoying it? So this is one of those those situations (laughs) where I'd say possibly keep it because there's not a great lot of choice on the market. But um, if you did sell it, I think, yeah, twenty two, twenty three thousand. 23,000. Yeah, so, so there you go, Malik. Um, good advice. If you like it, hang on to it. Uh, we've got another caller now. It's, uh, it's, it's Manoj. And Manoj, welcome to the show. What have you got for us uh, to, to, throw, to try and stump Matthew with? Hi, guys. Uh, so I have a 2015 BMW 528. It's exclusive. And it's done about 65000 and it's just out of warranty from BMW in July. Um, and uh, so I'm just wondering what would it be worth? Because I'm thinking of flipping it and getting a new car. So what do you think? So it's 2015, 65,000K, uh, maintained by BMW throughout. No accident, nothing. Clean car. Ooh. Morning, morning. Well, the first, the first thing I see there is for a six-year-old car, that's, that's pretty low kilometers, 65 and that is going to be a strong selling feature for you. Most cars of this age will be between 80 and 100 plus thousand kilometers. Uh, in terms okay. of value, I'd probably start it out around 75, 80,000 and see how okay. the market reacts. But you, you must really push the kilometers in, in the advert because that's going to be the differentiator between other cars on the market because that, that, that's really attractive kilometers. It's got an Alpine kit on it. Yeah, the, the, these kits, as I, I just said to the last caller, again, you want some really nice photos of these cars uh, and, and make sure that they stand out because this kit is, is going to be the difference between moving it or not. And, and also remember, these, these kits are subjective. Some people like them, yeah, some people yeah. don't. Um, sure. You know, we always talk about modifying cars and we always say that the, the manufacturers of these cars, they spend millions and millions on design and development. So, Sometimes it's better to have it out of the box because that's what what we call vanilla. But I bought it. The, I bought the, it the, the, like the this one. from the showroom. I, I didn't. I yeah. didn't. Really, I, I bought it as is from the showroom. So it came with a kit. Basically. Yeah, it came already with a kit from BMW. But what what yeah, I'm saying right. is the kit is is not um, the the mass produced car. It's, it's 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 an, it's yeah. an additional special one. But look, yeah. I, I think the value of the car is around eighty thousand. Um, you can try okay. it a little bit higher. But um, okay. because you've got those low kilometers, but I, my feeling is that's what it's going to sell for around eighty thousand. Oh. Okay, wonderful. Because I had an offer from BMW wanting to buy this back and you know uh, buy a new car, so I just want to know whether what they have is more or less true. To it. What What did BMW offer you? Uh, Sixty-five. Mm. So the general rule of thumb is is, is the retail price is generally about twenty percent higher than the dealer. So if we add 20% onto 65, guess what number we're going to okay. land on? All right. Okay. Cool. But it's who is going to get it. 
<clears throat> it's a wonderful car. That's yeah, somebody's going to enjoy that for sure. It sounds like you've looked after it. All right, then. Thank, thank, cool. you, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your, your you. day. Um, speaking of BMWs, yeah. we've got an anonymous one for you, Matthew. And it's a BMW 750Li, twin turbo, top of the range, full extras, 153,000 kilometres. It's a 2012 model. Yeah, these cars, that what's that, nine years old now, these, yeah. these do get expensive when the age and the kilometres rise up. It's probably worth around 45,000, 50,000 dirhams. But, um, you know, before buying this type of car, I would always get a good vehicle inspection done because you only need a couple of components to fail on this and it gets quite expensive. But from a selling perspective, yeah, you should put it out 45,000, 50,000. Yeah, that, that's the thing, though, isn't it? I mean, with these sort of uh, German mid to high price luxury cars, that once they reach that tipping point, they start to drop off the cliff fairly quickly, don't they? It's just the annual, you know, to maintain this car properly, I, I see you could have bills each year 20 25,000 because it's it's you know we I, I use this analogy a lot but it's like the golden gate bridge you start painting at one end and by the time you get to the other it's time to start painting again these things just will continually cost you money you know the the ac will fail or there'll be a gearbox problem the radiator will go you'll be just spending money because as this car ages you you're, you're changing one of hundreds and hundreds of components so yes that component is new but the other stuff is still aging yeah so you know be be cautious there are some good ones out there and that's why a vehicle inspection will actually um make sure that you uncover what's going on underneath the hood yeah but look you know from a, a, a buyer's perspective please go into these cars knowing you will spend money Absolutely. We've got one more before we take a quick break. This is from Amar. He has a white Porsche Cayenne S2012. I know this will tickle your fancy, Matthew. Amar, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good, thank you. What, what have you right. got for us, Amar? It's, I believe it's a, it's a Porsche well, Cayenne. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very... I've enjoyed this car tremendously. A Porsche Cayenne S2012 model. I bought it when it had only 65,000 kilometres. They're mostly Abu Dhabi kilometers, but the interesting point is I've kept it under warranty till, till date. The warranty just expired in, uh, at 249,000 uh, kilometers because they don't um, renew warranty after 200,000. So just before two, it touched 200,000, I it renewed it for two more years. And uh, it was money well spent because just before the warranty expired, they asked me to come in and get it, uh, get it completely checked because I had a good relationship with them. And during that time, you'll be surprised they replaced the AC, they replaced the torch, some, uh, you know, uh, suspension links, some bellows. Yep. Almost 35,000 dirhams worth of stuff. It was so nice of them. Yep. Anyway, so uh, the warranty is out now, but uh, I came out of the <laughs> showroom with a brand new AC. Okay. And etc. Uh, etc. Et right, great, Matthew. What what do you think about that? Well, I mean, you've you've done the sensible thing and take advantage of of Porsche's warranty that runs up to ten years. Um, and on cars like this, you've just proved exactly why sometimes that's a smart move because right at the the end of the warranty, you've got everything that needed to be fixed fixed. The the kilometers are going to raise a few eyebrows when you put this online. However, sure. if you if you can make it very clear in the advert that it has been under warranty the whole time, 
you've just had everything fixed on the car. I think you can put that car out there for 60,000. Um, you may even be able to start slightly higher, but I, 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 the kilometers are just a barrier despite everything else going on. Um, but my feeling is, um, you've got to, you've got to present what you just basically said to us, uh, on paper. So people understand that. If you can do that and take some beautiful photos of the car, somebody's going to come along and, and really appreciate how you've looked after this and the benefit of that long 10-year warranty. But it should sell for around 60,000 dirhams. Sure. No, I expected around that much, and I'm very happy with that. If I get that much, I'll be really happy, or 55 or 60. Uh, just one quick question. If I wanted to buy a 2015 to 17 model, similar pr car, uh, say about 60,000 or 70,000 kilometers on the on the how much would I expect to pay, if I may ask? Yeah, I mean, the 15s, with those type of kilometers, I, I imagine will be around 140, 145. Um, the okay. 17s, you're going to go up a, a, a lot more. I think the sweet spot's probably to be in the middle to go for a 2016, yeah. which I think with those kilometers, sure. you'll get around 165. Um, if you're good at handling, right. maybe even maybe even 160. Yeah. But I think the, the sure. 16 is the best bang for buck because the price will jump up quite a bit more as you go in towards the 17s. There you go. Thank thank you so much, right. Amar, so, for for your, for your call. Not a job. We'll be thank um, you. no problem. We'll enjoy your your afternoon. We'll be back for a little bit more. We've got uh, more fix it or flip it coming up. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, we're with you, Motor Mania, through till midday. And uh, don't forget, if you want to get a value on your car through uh, Matthew Davison from Algo Driven, SMS us via the ARN Play app. And we're also asking this morning, based on uh, some information that came out from Dubai Police this week, would you be, consider lowering the driving age down to, uh, to 18 or is 18 too young? We've got uh, one comment saying, no, don't lower the driving age Keep it at 18. You can get your motorcycle license on 17, at 17, and they're talking about bringing that one down. So, uh, yeah, we'll be keen to uh, to hear your thoughts on that one. Um, Matthew, I've got a text message in here, and it is a, uh, a 2013 Range Rover V8 supercharged in perfect condition and fully serviced. It has uh, 48,000 kilometres on it from Ruth. Makes you wonder what's, gotcha. been, what's, been, what's been going on for the last eight years. Um, that's super <laughs> yes. low kilometers, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, yeah, it took, took me by surprise a little bit, but yeah, forty-eight thousand kilometers. I mean, e even um, there won't be anything anything like that on the market. So that's that's going to get snapped up very very quickly. I mean, it, it, is it just is it just HSE? Did she mention what spec it, it, it is? It doesn't say. It just says two thousand and thirteen V eight supercharged. So so let's let's presume presume it's that, and let's presume also it's it's the new shape because, as you know, around that time the shape changed as well. Um, my feeling is the car will be worth around one fifty, one fifty five. Um, but trust me, if she puts that on the market, that's that's gone the same day with those kilometres for sure. Absolutely, I mean forty eight thousand um, in this region. Uh, that's that's has <laughs> been to the shops and back a few times, and not much more. Yeah, yeah, salon and back. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, crossing now to uh, to David and uh, David, uh, welcome to to, uh, to Motormania. What have you got for for Matthew? Hi guys, um, thanks for for taking my call. I have an Audi Q5. Uh, it's a 2014 model. 
uh, and it's got 167,000 k's on it. So we're uh, we're, we're moving up the kilometre range now. Um, yeah. So look, the Q, the Q5 still still is a good seller. Do, do you know which engine it is? Is it, is it the S line, the three litre, or is it the yeah. smaller four yeah, cylinder? Yeah. Wow, it's. I don't know to be honest. It's fast. <laughs> it's fast. <laughs> fast. Yeah. Let's 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 presume it's the the six cylinder then. Um, it, yeah. If if it's if it's the S line, the the three liter Quattro, I, I think you even with those kilometers, you're looking around fifty thousand. Um, I would put that out on the market for maybe fifty five, and then and look to close anything above fifty. Um, because even though those kilometers are getting getting high, that's a great spec and a great car, and um, and still very desirable. Super, yeah, I I've really enjoyed the car, but we're moving we're moving home. But um, yeah, no, I'm thrilled with that. Thank you. Well, don't mention that in the advert. Just uh, just <laughs> if anyone asks you why you're selling, just say that you're upgrading the car now. You've you've had it for a few few years. It's time to get something different. Okay, shall do. Super, thank you guys. Thanks very much, David. And uh, we've got a message back from Ruth about that Range Rover. She said it's the old shape. Still not sure, though, which, what, what, what spec it is, but uh, does that give you any further ideas? Um, changes everything because the, the, the difference between the old and the new is, is, is vast. You, you, you're looking yeah. at probably un, under 100K, even though those kilometres are low, that old shape is, is not desirable because people would rather spend a little bit more and get the new shape that... It's pretty much until next year, I think, the new Range Rover comes out. So yeah. it's still the current the current shape. You can buy a car that's 2013 and it's the current shape. So, look, I, I would I would say that changes a lot, and it, it may be around 90k. Um, still, yeah. still, we'll have people chasing it for the low kilometers, but um, it's not as it's not as desirable as the uh, the newer shape one. Yeah, I'm hoping to get my eyes on a, uh, a quick look at the new one fairly soon, actually. So, um, yes, looking forward well, to that one. Well, that, that, is, that is a show that I'm really looking forward to, to get your <laughs> feedback on the new one, because I think um, if, it's a, if it's a significant jump up, I think that's going to be a huge hit here. And, and also a chance to pick up a bargain for the existing shape because Absolutely, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're going to drop in value when the new one hits the road. And I quite, I quite happily have a 2019 or, or 2020. Yep. We've got another one here. Uh, hi, Matthew. I have a Nissan Tita 2015. It's white in color and I've been looking at uh, doing some regular maintenance on it. It has 172,797 kilometers on it. Um, any idea what price you could think to get for that one? A white Nissan well, we- Tita, you'd think... Uh, yeah, the, the the white the, the white obviously is the, is the the color that it will always be the one that's uh, the most popular here and, and also most popular for people buying. But those cars they move very very quickly. Uh, price wise, I I'd put it out there on around twenty five k. I think you'll probably close it around twenty two twenty three. Yeah. Um, but hold 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 on. You know, you'll, you'll get a lot of low ballers, but there's very little Nissan Titas on the market at the moment. Very little. Really? So, yeah, oh. um, like a lot of these small, small, reliable cars, um, we just don't have enough inventory in the used car market at the moment. So um, people are looking to sniper these at, at low at low value um, and then quickly resell them and make a profit. But I, I would certainly hold your ground at, at 22, 23 as a final price. Great. Thanks very much for that, uh, that one. Um, 
Here's one that, uh, oh, this, this, this sounds pretty nice. 2012 Mustang Rouse 3, 540 brake horsepower. It's got 65,000 kilometres on it, two owners, um, and it's a manual. He says it's completely stock. This is from Chris. What year is it, Damien? Uh, 2012. Okay, uh, that's the stage three, yeah. The, yeah, the that's, stage that's the one, three. yeah. So it's, it's had the remap, it's got the exhaust, everything. Um, that's that's a, you know, it's a, it's a very specific car, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's going to be um, a certain buyer that appreciates that car with the horsepower and, and the sound and everything. Um, having said that, you need to price it and position it correctly. My feeling is around 50000 maybe 55 um but uh that that is going to be one of those cars where the person that's looking for it is going to see it there's the money uh, without a shadow of doubt it's just that you're not going to get that many calls because it's so so specific but um yeah 50 55 there you go chris i hope that works we've only got you for five minutes more matthew so we're going to uh, cross to a quick break now but when we come back we've only just got about five minutes left with uh with with matthew davison from algo driven and then we're going to go into the uh, the fast 60 seconds you're listening to motormania this is dubai I, 103.8 we're back in the driver's seat this is motormania Dubai I 103.8. Yes, Motormania, we're with you right through, right through till midday. And uh, at the, on the line, we've got Matthew Davison from uh, from Algo, Algo Driven. And uh, we've also got on the line, we've got Riyadh, Matthew, and he has a, a Honda Accord 2019 model. Good morning, Riyadh. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, got you, got you. You have a, a Honda Accord uh, 2019 model. Yes, that's right. It's a silver color, uh, 1.5 liter EX twin turbo. And it has about seventy thousand kilometers on the clock. Great, so Matthew, yeah, and I believe there's a you got one or two few scratches on it. You mentioned here, but nothing major, Matthew. What do you what do you no, think about that? Yeah, so the the EX one point five liter turbo. Uh, you're looking around eighty five to ninety for that car. I mean, if, if the scratches aren't too bad, you can go and just get a polish. Um, it, it won't necessarily remove them all, but it'll certainly reduce them. I mean, if they're if they're quite heavy and they're restricted to a single panel, it might be worth doing some smart repair on them just to, to take away any objections that the, the buyer might have because, you know, you, you don't want to give them any reason to lower the price. But I think that car should sell out in the market now for around eighty five ninety. I took it to the Honda guys and they told me 75000 I wasn't happy with it. What, what, what did they offer you? They offered me 70, 75000 dirhams. Okay, so let, let's, let's apply my rule, which I've had for years that works so well. 75 plus 20% gives you 90. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So the general rule is what a dealer offers you, you can add 20% and that's what it will sell for on the open market. Amazing, amazing. So, so glad I had this word with you. Yeah, so what are you thinking, Are you looking to buy a new car as a result of this? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking at buying the same car, but the 2021 or 2022 model. I'm, I'm in love with this car. I feel the, drive, the drivability is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I mean, the, the Accord, you can't really go wrong. It's, it's such a dependable car. So I think it, you'll be fine with that one. Yeah, it's either that or a Lexus, you know. I, I feel that uh, because I'm a sedan person, so I love, uh, you know, so I, I think that, that those are the two options I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah, great. Thank, thanks very much, Riyadh. And, Thank uh, you, guys. Good, good, all Lovely the best with it. by the way. Thanks very much. Uh, Matthew, I've got one here. Um, a, uh, you want, want to know the current value of an E39 M3? This is a BMW, of course, um, with 104,000 kilometres. He says it's in perfect condition. What's a year? 
Um, doesn't say. It's an e, it's a E93. Ah, okay. There won't be huge amounts on the market. Um, and what was the kilometres? Uh, 104. Yeah, I mean, it's you're looking, because we don't know the exact year, um, but you're looking around, I would say, 140s, 145, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. But... but but the, um, the the this this whole segment at the moment, uh, the M3s, the Audi RS6s, RS4s, there's just hardly any on the market anywhere. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's demand for them, but uh, but yeah, maybe that's the market we're in right now. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, we've got Dave on the line. Dave's got a 2017 Ford Edge. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, guys. How are you today? Very good, thanks. What what do you what are you looking to do? You're looking to get a value, or you're looking to, uh, to I, I just up, upgrade? wanted to get a value. I just wanted to get a value. It's a 2017 Ford Edge SLE top range, company maintained um, under warranty until December 2022. Just wanted to see how much I could get for this in mint condition. Yeah, the SEL is is a nice spec. You've got leather, you've got everything that you want. The big exactly. screen. Um, yeah. What was the kilometers? Sorry. Forty-nine eight hundred. Oh, great kilometers as well for a seventeen. Yeah, you'd be you'd be looking around seventy-five, eighty thousand for that car. I would probably Perfect. put it on the market for seventy-nine, and then and then look how people uh, react to that price. But um, they're lovely cars, and they're so well spent. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a nice car. It's a nice car. I've been enjoying it for for some time now. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's really helpful. No worries, Dave. Thank you so Thank much. You, thank you. Thank, Bye-bye. thank you. Now, another one, too, for you, for you, uh, Matthew. Um, uh, a quick quote for this one. Evaluation for an Audi A5 Sportback. It's a two-litre turbo, 2010. It's got 177,990 kilometres. There's, a, there's, there's the, a great number. It's under 178,000. Good condition overall. Minor marks. Good history. Yeah, I, I like the Sportback. I mean, again, there won't be huge amounts of them on the market. Um, the kilometres is what's going to... Yeah. affect it you need to be under under thirty thousand. i think i'd probably put that on the market for something like 28 29 and and if somebody comes and puts twenty five thousand in your hand snap it off yeah yeah the sport back i mean there's the they're, they're popping up there's quite a few around now and that that 2010 shape lasted for quite a long time too yeah i, I still think it looks a relatively contemporary vehicle um you know you you certainly would be uh, pretty pleased to pull up outside anyone's front door in that car, and and you know for something that's that's that low value that you can pick it up for under thirty k, but you know we have to balance the discussion by saying it's also going to start getting ex- expensive as well. Eleven years old, kilometers creeping up. Um, so anybody buying it, put aside some money each year to 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 run it, maintain it, and expect expenses. Yeah, yeah. We've got an update too, by the way, uh, on our Instagram poll asking is, uh, should we look at lower, lowering the driving age? And right now, the Instagram poll, 73% of people say we should keep it at 18 years old. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I think that the, 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 a lot of people that will be making this call will not be the, the 17 and 18 year olds. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be their parents. And, and, and as I said at the top of the show, Look, it's parents that ultimately help you or even gift you your first car. Um, 
And and I think that is going to be, even if they change the law, it doesn't mean a 17-year-old automatically is going to be out there driving. They need a set of wheels to, to actually go onto the road. So, look, as I said, um, you've got, uh, a lot of countries in Europe that, that start at that age and and uh, even in the US, the states that start at 15 and 16. But I think 17 or 18, I don't think it makes a huge difference. I think the maturity of the person at that age, I've met yeah. some incredibly mature 16, 17 year olds and I've met some 25 year olds that, are, that aren't anywhere as close <laughs> as mature. So um, factor that in. But the, the poll results don't surprise me, Damien, to be no. honest. No, not at all. Well, we're just about to wrap up, and uh, just because it's a new person in the hot seat, you're not getting away without uh, giving us 60 seconds on the clock, Matthew. I've, I've, I've been keeping tabs, and uh, you're currently up to nine, I believe, is your record right now. So are you all ready for uh, this one? Yeah, nine will never be beaten. That was, that was, <laughs> that was uh, utopia. That was everything arrived at the right time on that day. But look, if we get seven or eight on your first show, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> Let's see how we go. That'll be worth a coffee this afternoon. All right. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start 60 seconds. Your time, Matthew, starts now. It's a white Toyota Corolla, 2016, 151,000 kilometres. Uh, they're creeping up. They're probably 18,000, 19,000. Okay. Uh, 2019 Honda CRV Silver, 28,000 kilometres. Service package up to 55,000 kilometres. 80K. Ooh, okay. Mercedes-Benz E-Class, 2016, E300 AMG Black, 74,000 kilometres. Oh, nice car. Probably 125, 130. Ooh, okay. Uh, 2017 Toyota Fortuna EXR, white with uh, 115,000 kilometres. Ah, they sell very well. 75, 80K. Okay, there's a tricky one here. 2020 Renault Symbol, white, 7,000 kilometres though. Oh, probably about early 50s, like 52, something like that. Okay, Honda CRV LX 2018. It's also white, 112,000 kilometres. Late 60s, 68, 69. Okay, uh, Mitsubishi Lancer EX GLS Silver 2014. Oh, oh. 25, 26. Oh, there you go. I'll tell you what, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that oh, one. Oh, very nice. <laughs> uh, you got seven for this one. Ah, I'm happy with that. It's your first show, so... Seven or eight was 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 going to be a great number. Not a bad effort at all. Um, that's uh, <laughs> we had we had uh, so many callers coming in for this one this morning that um, we only managed to get through with uh, with seven. So um, yeah, apologies to those who didn't get their chance to uh, to get through with uh, with this one. But uh, we're going to have a lot more coming through later on. What else have you got on the uh, on the agenda this afternoon, Matthew? Have you anything to do with uh, Supercar Magulus now that the weather's getting cooler? Yeah, we, we've got such a busy schedule. We're doing some uh, – this weekend we left open because of Expo, so we could all enjoy the Expo, which was the most amazing launch. Yeah, um, wasn't it? Yeah. It took, my, it took my breath away, that opening ceremony. Um, but next week we're doing some drag racing on, on Yaz Circuit. Um, the following Fantastic. week we're doing a, a, a drive, a convoy up to Rasol Kema. Then we're back to, back to Yaz Marina on the actual full circuit. And then the end of the month, we're, we're Dubai Autodrome. So we're absolutely uh, packed with events with Supercars Magilis for October. Amazing stuff, mate. Uh, fantastic stuff. Well, thanks so much. And um, we look forward to uh, getting you back on in two weeks' time. 
and for more of uh, Fixed or Flip It. But um, that's uh, Matthew Davison from uh, Algo Driven. We'll see you in two weeks' time. But don't uh, go away because after 11 a.m., we've got the Car News Roundup with Intensiado. And uh, we've also got a bit of a chat with the guys from Lotus and a few other bits and pieces. So that's all coming up after the break. This is Motomania. This is Motomania. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai I 103.8. Welcome back to Motomania on Dubai 103.8. And uh, we're going to head into a bit of a bit of news now. And uh, we've got uh, going to have Intershant Giado on the line via Microsoft Teams in a moment. We're going to discuss all things happening that's been happening in the world of motoring over the course of the last couple of weeks or even more. Good morning, Intershan. Good morning, Damien. Glad to see you back here. Good to, uh, good to, good to have, you, uh, have you on this uh, side of the phone as well. <laughs> yeah. It's, Always um, a pleasure. Lots of stuff been going on this week. Now, I'd, l- I'd like to ask your uh, uh, thoughts too. We're running this poll at the moment. Is 18 years old too late to get your first driving license in Dubai? And when did you get your first driving license? I got my driving license super late. I think I was 22 because I just wasn't interested in driving. I was interested in cars, but not in driving per se. I think the sooner you start them, the better. I'd say go as low as 16 if you need to because people need time. Yeah. It's one of those 10,000-hour things, as Malcolm Gladwell would say. You need to spend time. That's all it is experience. Nobody's born a talented driver, in my opinion. You just need to put time into it. Absolutely. I mean, this this comes off the back of uh, a senior police officer who said that uh, young people at 17 should be allowed to drive a car in the UAE. Now, currently, the law permits those aged 17 to apply for a motorcycle license, but they've got to wait until they're 18 to learn to drive. And this came from Major General Mohammed Saif al-Safin, the chairman of the Federal Traffic Council, who said that... Um, Driving a, riding a motorcycle is surrounded with dangers, while driving a car is much safer. And according to Dubai Police data, more than 50% of road fatalities involve drivers who have held a driving licence for less than five years. So will lowering the age by year make a difference? The polls so far still saying that um, largely, uh, 85% thereabouts, want to keep it around about, uh, want to keep it at 18. I'm going to put this one out there too for, for, for listeners who want to uh, uh, chip in as well. I'm sure you've got a, a thought on this too, in the is what about the idea of making it part of the school curriculum? What about the idea of sending a children as part of the school curriculum down to a place like the Dubai Autodrome or a driving school or somewhere else as you would drop a kid to play footy or, or, or do sport at the swimming pool, have an hour session learning how to get get the, the handle of a car from the age of you know high school age, 14, 15. What do you think, Shan? I think it's a good idea. I think in other countries they certainly do that, make it part of the curriculum. However, being with somebody in the car, I think, has an effect up to a point. I think in other countries, they have the P-plate system in your native Australia, and you have to have a parent or guardian in your right seat or left seat if you're right-hand right, basically giving you that sort of guidance. But the problem is we know that young people are apt to misbehave the moment nobody is around, right? That's the whole point of being young. So you kind of want to teach them that defensive driving thing. And that is where maybe, I'll take your point further, maybe an advanced driving school technique how many so-called professional drivers, I think that, that term applies to all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> how many people out there don't even know how ABS works? How many people crash into the back of the car in front of them because they simply didn't press the pedal hard enough? And I'm guilty of it as much as the next person. I think nobody understands how their safety system works. Nobody understands how their functions of their car can actually protect them and make them safer. So yeah. I think there needs to be somebody shows them that this stuff is there for your safety. And in an accident or in a potentially dangerous situation, this is how things like traction control 
uh, yep. skid control, all of those things can work to your advantage. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, my friend. Um, we're going to get stuck straight into the news stories now. And uh, an interesting one that uh, here's a, a different take on CO2 emissions when it comes to electric cars and everything else. A study from the Kyushu University says that the debate over gasoline and electric cars focuses on fuel efficiency and the CO2 emissions that they produce only. Now, they're suggesting that keeping older cars longer can actually help the environment more than buying new electric cars. While electricity and hydrogen, they do not doubt that they are cleaner energy sources. Their study finds that it takes a lot of energy to build the car, specifically that uh, they found that keeping older, fuel-efficient cars on the road longer reduces CO2 emissions more than speeding up the global transition to green technology. Now, their, their thinking is, and they're quote, quoting Shigema Kagawa, the professor from Kyushu University's Faculty of Economics. He said that the faster you replace a car, the more CO2 it emits. It's no different with electric cars because when the demand for new cars increases, it shoots up the, these are the key point, the manufacturing emissions rather than the tailpipe emissions. What do you think? I think manufacturing emissions are some of the most significant part of the overall ecological life cycle of a car, if you will. I don't think it's any difference. I think we're in a big rush to replace cars, electric cars, but ignores the fact that there are millions, millions of cars out there which are perfectly functional and working. What can be done to make them more uh, carbon neutral, make them more usable over their life? I think using a car as long as you can is the most ecological thing you can do. Recycling old cars or getting them back on the road is not a bad idea. The problem is, I think, Damien, and this is the tricky part, as most governments will agree, emissions. Yep. What do we do about emissions? Yep. How can we reduce tailpipe emissions? Toyota, of course, has that wonderful thing they come up with, where they figure out a way to make hydrogen as a fuel source for regular cars and burn hydrogen cleanly, which, of course, doesn't have really any tailpipe emissions besides water. So that's an option. I think if you put the boffins to it, they might come up with a clever solution beyond electricity because I think ultimately it is the way. But in the meantime, we've got to figure out a way to make these cars cleaner, especially in countries like the UAE where uh, range is obviously affected by the heat. Charging infrastructure simply doesn't exist as much as the government would like. It's building out there, but it's going to take a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting you mentioned hydrogen too because uh, Hyundai also um, announced plans to switch to hydrogen and uh, and make it their mainstream fuel by 2040. Now, they're, they're, they're talking about their commercial vehicles and they're actually talking about turning their smaller commercial vehicles into plug-in electric, but their larger vehicles to run on hydrogen fuel cell, which means that they can travel about 1,000 kilometres between fills and uh, and it's still an EV, it's still producing, it's only water vapour that is the only emission that it's producing. The Hydrogen Council, by the way, says that hydrogen energy, is, they, they're predicting will account for 18% of global energy demand by 2050, which they value it at $2.5 trillion US dollars and will cut carbon dioxide emissions by more than 6 billion tonnes a year. Do you think the likes of Toyota and Hyundai are, are leading the way that might send other manufacturers down that hydrogen path? Well, there are kind of two schools of thought here, but I want to point something out. What you say is absolutely right. If you have hydrogen as a fuel source for long-distance driving, basically trucking, haulage, it yeah. makes total sense in the way the electric, electric trucks just don't because no trucker can afford to wait 40 minutes to have his truck charge up. And the whole point of a truck is that it's constantly moving. So hydrogen makes total sense. The problem is there are two things here, which unfortunately the hydrogen brigade kind of neglects to mention, as much as I love hydrogen as a potential power source. First of all, um, it's not quite the same as popping into your local fuel station and popping up, uh, popping the tank and putting in some petrol. Hydrogen is a little bit more complicated to fuel up. There are issues with the fueling infrastructure. It takes a little longer. And the pumps have issues. You just have to get onto any number of forums 
where people use hydrogen cars absolutely bemoan a the lack of filling stations and the constant struggles of getting their vehicles fueled up tanks yeah. don't work uh, pumps don't work the cars don't accept them so it's, not, it's quite of an emerging space so as much as i want to be on the brigade some things need to be fitted out the second point is that the reason toyota and hyundai are behind this so aggressively is because they've been very slow on the electric car front toyota has been pushing hydrogen a long time but they've been kind of grudgingly grudgingly dragged into the electric space but really their heart is behind hydrogen yeah. the problem is chicken and egg who's going to build the infrastructure obviously it would make sense for existing fuel suppliers your shells your esos all of that going and making these fuel stations but they don't seem to want to because mm. nobody seems to know who's going to build the infrastructure whether it's electric or hydrogen yeah yeah now moving on here's another one that i think you you've probably got some input on um there's a story saying that business is booming at auto repair shops due to the lack of new cars now this came out of a, a recent kelly blue book research that said that 80 percent of new car shoppers say that they plan to wait it out for at least three months or even up to a year now the knock-on effect from that is that it's it's having um a positive impact for auto repair shops in terms of getting business in but it means that you're waiting a whole lot longer and you're even being charged more for parts, up to 20, between 20 to 40% more, because, well, if you can even get those parts, um, you're just gone through the process, and I've enjoyed watching you restoring your Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, how's that been for you in terms of getting parts for, for, the, for the, the Land Cruiser? Um, challenging, to put it mildly. <laughs> I think, again, there's two aspects to this question. I think... Even when it comes to new cars, I mean, I run a daily Ford Raptor. I know not very eco-friendly. But even that has been a bit of a challenge, booking it in for things like service, because the dealer is just so busy. They do an excellent job, but they're pretty busy as well. So I'm waiting a week or two to get, you know, my normal service done. So even things aren't great if you're running a fairly new car. On the second point, um, you are waiting for used car parts now. Between average of one to two to three days or up as much as a week for new parts. And then, of course, you've got to wait for a garage to fit it and so on. So running a used car definitely saves you money. And if that's what you can afford, that's what you can afford. But you do have to contend that your car might be out of action for a week or three days or yeah. five days at a minimum. What do you do? I mean, nobody has a second car just for when their car is in the shop, right? Well, no, you're right. Um, but it's not just also, I mean, as, as a spin-off to a spin-off to this, to this piece, something that, 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 that relates to myself is I, I had a press car that I picked up just before the pandemic kicked in, and it was a luxury car with air suspension. And it ended up staying, staying parked in my basement for two months because we couldn't drive, obviously, the, you know, as we all remember, the, the, dry, the, the roads were locked down. We couldn't go anywhere. Now, I got a message from the car company saying, look, can you just run through the, uh, the, the, the hardware, you know, the, the touchscreen buttons in the interior and everything else. But most importantly, can you run the air suspension as well? How so, do you run the air suspension? Well, Sorry, just, they dropped. Just, just um, uh, pump, the, pump the, the the air suspension up and down, raise the height, lower it a bit to to make sure that it doesn't uh, that it doesn't uh, split the the airbags. Wow, and that's something that obviously most um, end users or owners wouldn't know, would they? It's not something they tell you when you buy the car. Oh, by the way, every two weeks, can you just make sure you pop it up to maximum ride height and then drop it down all the way to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's a, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, so. We're going to get you to stick around for a bit longer. We've uh, got uh, three quarters of an hour left in, in Motor Mania this morning. You're listening to Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, we're with you for a little bit more to, through to midday with uh, Motor Mania. And uh, I have with me uh, from Motoring Middle East, Intathan Giada. Now, Intathan, um, 
Big news from a motorsporting perspective, I've got to throw it in there, is that um, in terms of Formula One, Qatar's LaSalle International Circuit will hold its first ever Formula One Grand Prix on November 19 to 21, with the country set to host the 20th event of the uh, of the World Championship. Now, they've, in addition to that, they've signed an additional 10-year deal to host F1 from 2023. The Qatari circuit is um, probably most famous for its association with two-wheeled motorcycle racing at LaSalle, and they've hosted MotoGP there since 2004. And uh, Uridu, the uh, communications company, will be the title sponsor for the event. Now, the race's inclusion on the calendar... It's going to create a three-part Middle Eastern ending to this season, which I can't wait for. There's going to be the race in Qatar. It'll be followed then by the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in December, from December 3 to 5. And then, of course, the season is going to be rounded out by the uh, Formula 1 Etihad Airways Abu Dhabi Grand Prix on December 10 and 12 at Yas Marina Circuit. Are you going to try and get down to Yas Marina Circuit? You've been to a few before. Oh, definitely. You know, I never miss it if I get a chance. It's in our backyard. Why wouldn't anybody want to go and see our own <laughs> Formula One? Do you think the title is going to be wrapped up by then, Damo? I No. No, I think the title will be wrapped up probably in about the last five laps of that race in, in Abu Dhabi. So it's going to be uh, – it's the tightest, honestly. It's battle, hasn't it? Well, you know, two points separating them, uh, the, the lead title contenders, Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen. Um, it's the tightest – championship battle i've seen in many many years and um and have the three of the last four races or five races here in the middle east is absolutely outstanding who would, you, who would have thought it that the middle east would be so critical and crucial now we have like a triangular finish to the formula one i never thought i'd see it in my lifetime that we'd have a qatari f1 a saudi f1 and a uae f1 all in the same time yeah like that's incredible in itself isn't it, it just moves that means that f1 is becoming no longer as eurocentric as it used to be well, this is it, and uh, and the Middle East has played a very key part in keeping F1 alive during during the pandemic last year, and uh, being rewarded with it this year. And then we're going to go back. We're going to kick it off again with the the first round next year, I believe, is going to be in Bahrain. So, uh, if you're into your F1, this is the place to be now. Sorry to those who are based in Europe, but this is all happening here. The passion's coming up, isn't it? People <laughs> are definitely getting involved. I've seen more people interested in F1 because they can go and they can see it. There's one thing to watch it on TV, but just being there and smelling the fumes yeah. and seeing all the glitz and the glamour, it's just like nothing else, is it? Absolutely. Now, here's something that uh, that's probably uh, a little closer to your heart. Let's see if you can, uh, you can pick what this is. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite. Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? No time to die. What? What? This is the latest in the in the James Bond epic um, series, and it brings back the Aston Martin DB5. That was uh, there dodging bullets. Um, what do you know so far about this movie? I think it's going to be a massive success. It's the last furlong, the final hurrah for Daniel Craig in his 15-year tenure, basically, as uh, James Bond, which makes him, I think, the longest James Bond in history, just past Roger Moore. Of course, the difference is that Roger Moore didn't have a pandemic to contend with. It's kind of artificially elongated <laughs> because this movie should have been out in 2020. But it is promising to be a pretty epic send-off, nearly three hours long. I think the longest, two hours, 43 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, the longest Bond in film history. And promises to wrap up every single storyline. And plus, a lot of great cars, isn't it, David? 
Oh, I mean, that's to me. That's what Bond's all about. Um, it's it's about the cars and the 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 DB5. It's making another yet another return to uh, to the silver screen. It was first in um, Goldfinger, I think, which was Sean Connery. Sixty four. Yeah. Nineteen sixty four. Thunderbolt, Golden Eye, Tomorrow Never Dies. You name it. it it's been on there. Um, and this new version is uh, is is. Looking really nice. In, in fact, they've a couple of F1 drivers took it for a bit of a spin, and um, it um, it's certainly it's got some grunt. The, the the current DB5 they're using it's using the original mechanical, so it's a four liter inline six, two hundred and eighty two, three hundred twenty five horsepower rather, um, and but it's got a few little extra features done to it. Now, speaking of the cars that are in there, um, we always ask it people, what are your favourite three James Bond cars? Well, surely you've got a you've got a great list there. You know, I, I got that confused usually my favorite three James Bond films. But let's go with my favorite three cars. And I think they're going to be a little surprising because the DB5 is not one of them. It's a great car, don't get me wrong, but it's a little bit before my time. I think 1964 <laughs> is a little bit over my uh, sell-by date. However, I'll put some cars in that most people will probably be familiar with. And I'll start with the one that people don't necessarily like, which I think is the vanishing Aston Martin Vanquish from Die Another Day. What a car. Yeah. That shotguns on the bonnet. It was invisible. I know it's silly, but Bond should be a little bit silly. And the car could pirouette on ice because it was four-wheel drive. It actually was a custom chassis. It looked like an Aston Vanquish, but really it was just a very, very cool. I think it was a Sierra Cosworth. I'm not sure what I was on yeah. there, but it was very quick. And lots of cool stuff. Also, it had ejector seat that could flip the car over. How cool is that? Yeah. The next one I think <laughs> you might agree with is the Living Daylights. Yeah. Advantage, the one that had skis and rocket launchers. Ah, and yeah. Frankly, a little bit of everything. What a car. Interesting. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you my three, and they're not uh, like you. Hold on, I got one. Oh, go, sorry. Go, I thought you got one in. Sorry. <laughs> one, I'll pop that one in, uh, but it's not Aston. It's the BMW 750 from Tomorrow Never Dies, the one that was remote controlled via Sony Ericsson smartphone. Ah, yes. Product placement. Had a beautiful row of rocket launchers, had a, um, a wire cutter hidden in the roundel. And had run flat tires in 1997. How cool was that? It was just amazing. It was just the highlight of what was a fairly average Bond outing. But my gosh, that car made it something else, didn't it? Amazing, amazing. Um, my three are a little bit different because I didn't go for the as, like you. I didn't go for the stereotypical. I didn't go to Aston Martins or Rolls Royces or Bentleys, things that didn't have things popping out of them or guns or whatever else. I'm more curious by the by the quirkier stuff that he drove. And for me, you know me, the Shan, you know what I'm going to say. It was the I know, it, it was in coming. it was in Octopussy, and it was the Alfa Romeo GDV6, the brown one with the French yellow headlights. I love that car; it's fantastic. Um, he had it properly on the door handle, so he was really giving it the beans. The old thing, trying to get away from a couple of dodgy BMWs too. So that was that was good. Um, the, the other one too it was in Diamonds Are Forever, and it was the Triumph Stag. Now, the reason I like that is I love the Triumph Stag anyway, but this was the prototype pre-production car to the actual Stag that came out in um, two years after the movie. So the Stag didn't come out until 1973, um, and uh, and that's beautiful. Um, and then, of course... Any head gasket issues, or it made it through the filming intact? No, it made it through, and it didn't overheat. So that's amazing. Um, then the other one is the um, from the Living Daylights uh, was the Audi 200 Quattro, only because it came with Audi factory extras on it, and that was box guards and 16-inch BBS rims. This. Where was the 200 Quattro? I have to forgive me, I can't remember this car. Because I was watching the cars and wasn't following the storyline so much. It was in the Living Daylights. Uh, the studio are asking me, where is the Lotus Esprit S1? Where? Oh, 
I mean, that's... I'm my old colleague Shazad might have been very upset not to have the Esprit submarine, which I think is cool. I think the Esprit submarine from The Spy Who Loved Me in 77. What a cool car. If I you had to say my favorite Bond gadget car, it would actually be that one. I love Just the... because it survived. It survived the entire thing. It didn't blow up at the end or get, you know, ditched in some <laughs> silly way. But I love the fact that Roger Moore actually purchased the Esprit. So not, not the submarine car, but he purchased the brown one with the gold wire, uh, with the gold uh, spoke wheels. And he From kept it. For he... your eyes only, I believe. Yeah, he one. drove it to the set and back and then hung on to it. I think that's pretty, uh, that's, that's a, that's a seller, seller as to how good a Bond Roger car can Moore be. Roger Moore was quite a car nut. People don't really know this about him, but he lived, of course, in Monaco, like, like most tax exiles. But he was enjoying cars <laughs> well into his 80s. Pierce Brosnan, one of the stipulations of his contract when he did die another day was that he would get an Aston Vanquish, which was quite a hot thing at the time and still is actually quite a valuable car. Uh, he loved that car. He wasn't into cars, Pierce Brosnan, but he loved the Vanquish. He, was, he left it in California for many, many years and used it as a runabout. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, in the uh, mid-2010s, his house burned down. And with the ah. language with it, and he was absolutely gutted about it. Oh, there you go. Well, getting away from that, I've got to ask you, you um, you went down and had a look at a car that I've yet to see yet. I'm going to hopefully get down there maybe next week, and that is the uh, the new Ford Bronco that's um, that's yeah. also going to take the, the world by storm, I think, anyway. Um, what do you say? What do you, what do you, what's, your, what's your verdict on, on getting a sneak peek at this one? Well, let me put some uh, points down just for anybody who's interested. The order book is full, I believe, for the next six months. So don't worry about local dealer. They're going to be very happy with that. Uh, pricing goes anywhere, and I hopefully I'll get this accurate, somewhere in the 180s to upwards of 270000 I think that's the big question mark is the price. It's quite expensive. Um, the car itself is extremely well kitted out, I think, from an off-road perspective. It's really going to put the heat on arch-rival Jeep Wrangler. It has every off-road toy you can possibly ask for. It's incredibly well thought out in terms of storage space, nooks and crannies to store things. You know, from an off-road perspective, it comes factory standard on the top model with 35-inch tires and a high-speed off-road suspension. They call it Hoss. Um, it's got every extra. It comes in three-door and five-door, soft-top, hard-top. It's just exhaustingly well kitted out. Um, I think it looks really good. Up close, the size is good. It's much bigger than you think, the Bronco. The Bronco is kind of sort of between a Wrangler and a Prado. Let's put it that way. It's a little bigger. It's not quite as big as a Land Cruiser, but it's substantially bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, first impressions are really, really very comfortable to sit in. Tech package, outstanding, 12-inch screen, uh, sight lines, fantastic. Super easy to get rid of the roof and, you know, put on a put on, put on nothing, really, the soft top on. Very comfortable all around. Tons of cargo room. Um, demerits. Um, it's a little plasticky inside, actually. The yeah. interior isn't quite up to what I would expect for that well, price tag. I'll tell you what. I'll, a little bit more. I'll, I'll, I'll get you to, to hang on to that thought because we're going to keep you on the line and uh, we're going to cut to a quick break. But uh, I'd love to hear more about your thoughts about the new Ford Bronco, uh, good and bad. So um, uh, don't go away too far. We're going to hear more about the Ford Bronco. You're listening to Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, listening to Motor Mania with you for a little bit longer through to midday, and I've got on the line Imtishan Giado, who's been um, who had a quick look at the Ford Bronco. And uh, Imtishan, you've got some uh, you, you've listed all the good points, but what else is there for someone who's interested in uh, in having a look at if they can? Because you can't buy them anymore; they're pretty much sold out, right? You can, or the the, the, the bookers the bookers foot rather. The 
The book is full, but you know what? The problem is, the issue is chips. Once again, our friend, the semiconductor, raised his ugly or her ugly, ugly head. And we can't really get hold of any chips. So Bronco production is curtailed like everything else. And plus, in the U.S., it's just such a massive sellout. So one of the biggest demerits is you can't get a hold of it, even if you wanted to. I did mention that the interior is a little bit more plasticky than I like. It doesn't mean that it's bad. Don't get me wrong, Ford. It does mean that it's just a little bit more hardware and it's designed for outdoorsy stuff. So, you know, designed to be splashed on and dripped on. And the idea is that, you know, when you're outdoors, you can leave things on it and nothing will happen to it. But it doesn't, if you're looking for a Land Rover Defender experience with that very fine, tailored, wonderful mm. leather, beautiful stitched interior, you're not going to find it in the Bronco. But that's kind of not its mission, is it? Its but isn't that what people be have been asking for, though? With with uh, like there was when when Land Rover brought out the new Defender, they're saying, look, it doesn't have the hard points inside, so I can't hose it out like I could the old Defender. So isn't isn't this an, an, an alternative for them if they if they think the new Defender is a bit too family-ish and not enough off-road-ish? That this is what they're after. Absolutely, you know, if you were shopping for an off-road car, I would take a very very hard look at that Bronco before buying, going to buy a Wrangler, as you always did. Because it's such a complete package. It's just been so well thought out. And, of course, the aftermarket scene, which is kind of the half the fun with these cars, is really revving up. And I think in about a couple of years, you're going to have amazing-looking custom Broncos. And you know how much our market loves modding their cars. Well, this is the great thing. I mean, you can do so much with it and, uh, and the way you can, you can, you can carve it up and, and treat it as your own. I think it's going to actually be, um, once they get more stock coming in and once we get through this microchip issue, that um, you're going to see them everywhere. You're going to be walk. You're going to be able to walk from Bird Dubai to the Burj <laughs> from these things because there's going to be so many of them. They're just going to be all over the place, and rightfully so. It's been a long time coming. The Wrangler had things its own way for far too long, and it's nice to have a competition. It's good to have like Camaro and Mustang. Yeah. Many people arguing over which one's the better, and I, can't, I for one, can't applaud how good the Bronco is going to be. Well, speaking of Ford pickups, I've recently had the um, similar but different, the F-150 Platinum Hybrid. Now, this vehicle, it's a, I mean, it's been, the F-150, as you know, it's been the top-selling vehicle in the United States for 44 years. The Americans love their pickups, um, but this one's a hybrid, so it means that it still has a three and a half litre turbocharged V6 engine, 424 horsepower, 773 newton metres of torque, but it also has a 35-kilowatt electric motor. So you, when I was driving it, you take off under electric power until about 50 kilometres an hour, and then the the, uh, the motor kicks in. But it gave nearly 1,000 kilometres of range. I mean, I had uh, 700-and-something kilometres on it when I picked it up. I, gave, I did 400, and I gave it back still with over 600 kilometres of range on it. I actually really, really enjoyed that car. How was the performance of the hybrid drivetrain? Was uh, it as good as a V8? Did you miss no. any kind of well, well, No, I didn't miss it. It was, it was as good. It was fantastic. And um, for, for a vehicle that size, it's a big car. It's a genuine five-seater. Being, being the Platinum, it had all the luxuries. I mean, you could, you could valet this car no problem um, with the, the full leather interior and so much legroom. But it's kind of that car that you can check in at the valet. You can put it on a building site because you can run two twenty volt, you know, power systems off the off the back of it through the through the uh, regular three point plugs, um, and then take it out off roading. And and the thing is, what I did, I took it out. To, I didn't take serious off roading. To be fair, not like you know, Imtishan levels of off roading. But I I took it out to Al Quadra through some of the harder sand because on my own, I didn't want to get stuck. But I mean, even with that, driving through the sand, I st- it still achieved that kind of economy and all the performance and torque that I needed. I don't see a downside to going hybrid. Like, 
I mean, you have all of that range. You're obviously much better for the environment because as much as possible, you're running on electric engine. And then you've got that amazing range um, uh, generator at the back. I wouldn't say range and extender, but yeah. it gives you that little bit of power. So when you're outdoors, you're camping, you can power any number of items. You can run lights, you can run music, you can run fridges, all of that stuff. And it comes factory standard. I think it's something that Ford's been very clever about. And every other manufacturer, I'm talking the two big truck guys here. We're talking about Chevy, we're talking about Ram, and now Toyota as well. I think all of them are going to have to copy. They have no option because now that people have it, they're not going to want to live without it, are they? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it comes standard with the 2,000-watt power pack in the back that basically it means you can run uh, uh, circular saws you can for, for building sites but you can also run hot you know um, um, showers when you're camping and hot water and that sort of thing but there's an option of a 7000 watt package and there was a story that came out from texas of a man who was actually trapped without power in his home and uh, and he ran not only his house but his neighbor's houses for four days off the back of his f-150 yeah it's not the first time i've heard that story i think Ford actually deployed a fleet of F-150s to act as sort of mobile generators. Because as it turns out, sorry, electric fans, it's easier to get a hold of petrol sometimes than electricity. And you can basically run these cars back into the grid and provide power. And again, it's just amazing that the technology has allowed us to do these things. We've come such a long way from these farm trucks that they were in the 60s and 70s. Now you have what is, by all accounts, an excellent luxury car, an excellent off-road vehicle, uh, a proper, proper work companion, and then you have a car that can provide life-saving utility in the case yeah. of emergency. I mean, who can complain about a power pickup truck anymore? It just there's nothing to complain about these vehicles. Yeah. Now, just quickly too, you're also um, uh, we're going to see the launch this month too of the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, um, a very important car, and it's a it was a fifth generation platform that's based on the Stellantis Alfa Romeo Stelvio Giulia platform. Uh, what can you tell us about the, this the, the new Cherokee? Um, first of all, I can say I have a little bit of a sneak peek because I might already have seen it myself up uh-huh. close and personal. Um, it's following up to a car that was very loved in the region, the Grand Cherokee. It's the first time we're having a three-row version. They've just announced a two-row version as well, the basic the Grand Cherokee, without the L, if you will. Um, good points. Interior looks really sumptuous, beautiful materials, FCA. Oh, sorry, FCA. Stellantis. <laughs> uh, that's what they're called these days. Uh, even I can't get used to it. Knocked it out of the park. Beautiful interior, tons of tech package functions. You're not going to be unhappy at all. And the sound system is this Macintosh sound system, which, by the way, Macintosh, very old name in stereos. Yeah. Amazing sound system. They're known for their blue dials with their flickering gauges. And they just, you'll see that as a digital version of the classic gauge. Fantastic. Bad points. Um, well, there is the new drivetrain, but let me turn that into a good point because they've got the great Pentastar V6 and you're going to have the 5.7. You might have a 6.4. Will there be a Hellcat version? I don't think so. The other bad point is it's not the prettiest Grand Cherokee I've ever seen, but looks are subjective like anything else. And I think it's going to be a really, really cool car. It just takes me a while for me to get used to the look of it. Yeah. Because the old car was a really handsome car. This one has some um, angles that don't necessarily flatter it, but you can't argue with what you're getting. And if I have a GM, you know, with their Chevy uh, Tahoes and Denali Yukon GMCs, I would be very worried. The Ford Expedition 2 should look over its shoulder because this, the Cherokee is coming for you. For big families, it's a high, high contender. And Excellent. definitely if you're driving a patrol or a Land Cruiser, go check out the Grand Cherokee L. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, thank you so much. Time has flown by, Intershant. It's been really good, nice having you on. Um, and we'll hope we'll get you back for some more motoring news in a few weeks' time. 
We're back in the driver's seat. On Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, this is Motormania. We're with you for a few more minutes through till midday. And uh, before we go, um, uh, I had an interesting little trip up to Bahrain the other day to check out the new Lotus showroom up there and also have a look at the new Lotus Emira. It's, um, it's an important car because it's going to be the last petrol-powered Lotus that we're going to see. Three and a half litre supercharged V6, 400 brake horsepower, 290 kilometres an hour, 4.3 seconds, 200 manual. There, the important specs out of the way. Um, but Lotus is, uh, it's obviously, it's the British sports car brand that we all know. And it's been, it's reinventing itself as a mainstream sports and luxury car manufacturer. It's going to take on the likes of Ferrari, Bentley and Porsche with COP this, a 10 to 20 fold production increase following a 10 billion dirham investment from its new joint owners. That's China's Geely Holding and Malaysia's Etika Automotive. Now, the showroom was open in Bahrain. It's part of uh, Adamus Motors, who are the importers here in the region. They also have the showroom here in Dubai. Uh, But the one in Bahrain is the first in the world to carry the new corporate look and signage um, and also to launch the Emira. So this uh, new corporate look and signage will introduce a whole host of uh, EV-powered Lotus that will come through in time to come. They're talking about saloon cars, um, GTs, and I'm even hearing SUVs on the way with badge with the Lotus. So that's um, really, really interesting stuff. This one, though, the Emira, as I said, 3.5 litre, 400 brake horsepower V6. It also will come later on with the 2-litre turbocharged four-cylinder engine from the AMG. And that will be out here later on. So, yeah, so I was up there in, in Bahrain for the opening of this uh, of, their, of their new showroom. I spoke to Dan Barmer, who's the regional director for the Asia-Pacific Middle East for Lotus Cars. And uh, and I asked um, I asked Dan straight up uh, about the Amira, the last internal combustion car engine from Lotus. It's all electric vehicles um, will be it, it'll be that afterwards. Um, and Dubai is on track as it installs EV chargers throughout the city. And also what he has to say about um, Expo 2020, of course, showcasing the future of transport. We are not very far away from that moment. So we're on a journey to our 80th birthday, which sounds like a, a long way away. We're 73 years old as a brand now. By the time we're at, uh, celebrating our 80th in uh, 28, uh, we'll be fully be brand. But that's not just waiting for that moment. We've got some steps to take in the, in the immediate future for that as well. But Amira is that celebration of the internal combustion engine, glorious V6 soundtrack from the engine that people know well from Lotus. And everything in that sports car is, is, is devoted around the driver. It is indeed. Um, it looks fantastic. And, of course, there are lots of enthusiastic Lotus drivers in Dubai. All of them, I'd have to say, are purists. Uh, the question, though, is how are they going to convince these loyal owners to start driving their EVs and even their family-sized cars that will come later on? That's the important thing is to retain the emotion um, around the products um, as well because those customers are important to us. And uh, to retain the characteristics of Lotus um, and our approach is important. The product itself, I can't reveal too much about what we're doing now behind the scenes, but it's a very live conversation. We have some wonderful engineers back in the UK, but more importantly, we also have engineers across the world now in key locations who are developing the future of Lotus. Yeah, and and that's the big thing because they do have their massive uh, manufacturing plant that's being built in um, in China, but um, they're also had a massive refurbishment of their existing facilities at uh, Hethel in the UK. So I had a chat with Jeff Dowding, who's the executive director of global sales and after sales for Lotus Cars, and uh, as I said, it, it is a big change for Lotus. New ownership, lots of more changes are coming, and he said that the uh, the company has. Uh, 
has been forced to adapt in order to meet this new demand. Markets like the US, markets like Japan, markets like Germany are so key um, from a global perspective. You know, you have to be a global player. And um, to be a global player, you have to have products that have global appeal. And, uh, you know, as a sports car manufacturer for many years, we've been we're very niche, we've almost been a niche within a niche. You know, that market is actually diminishing in terms of its volume and uh, its volume potential. And that's why we have a master plan to turn Lotus into something really quite special. Yeah, and of course, you know, they do have that, that muscle behind them now with Geely. Geely, of course, owns Volvo and, uh, and Lookout's turned those guys around over the past few years. Um, and that's the big key on how they can ramp up production. We are looking at volumes 1,600 this year. will be three, at least three times that next year, if not more. And then as we start to enter into new segment, you know, where the volume really starts to ramp up, you know, we are ultimately talking about a plan that's based on tens of thousands at a global level. So the whole infrastructure within an organization of putting together everything from engineering and development through to logistics, through to the manufacturing capability, manufacturing centers globally, engineering centers globally to bring global thinking all together so we don't just think one region or, or, or another region, you know, right the way through to distribution and after sales and spare parts distribution and everything else. We've got a huge job on our hands in terms of, uh, of, of putting all that together. Yeah, a lot of exciting stuff coming coming out of uh, of this British-born sports car brand. Um, but uh, in addition to you know, the, the the big factories being built in China, five hundred million dirham investment in in Hethel, and this is the original factory where Colin Chapman founded Lotus back in nineteen fifty two. Uh, primarily, did it to build racing cars and then uh, road cars to fund his F one business. Now, where have we heard that model before? Enzo Ferrari sounds very similar, and it's been a great success for Lotus over many decades. What it means, though, is that with the electric vehicles coming, we're going to have to say farewell to some signature Lotus models, and that is the Elise, the Exige, and the Evora are going to make way for this fully electric lineup. Um, so that's the way it is. And it's going to be here – well, the Emirate will be here from next summer from about 315,000 to – 400,000 dirhams when it does get online and then of course we're going to go full electric so that's just about where we are for Motormania this morning thanks for for listening in my name's Damien Reid and I'd like to thank all our guests uh, Matthew Davison Inthan Giado and, uh, and, and all the crew who have been here um, and quickly on our talker is 18 years too late to get your first driving license in Dubai here are the Instagram polls and the result is 73% said yes keep it at 18 27% said yes we should lower the minimum age group well that's interesting um, I would have thought it'd be a little bit closer than that one but there we go but anyway meantime this afternoon don't go away too far because the boys from the grill will be back from 3 to 6 they are in the studio with all the sporting action so much going on with this one big talk about cricket whether the Ashes will be played in Australia or not this year and of course all your league issues that uh, that uh, Tom Urquhart and the crew will be discussing this afternoon I'll be back in two weeks time that is the 16th of October from 10am and uh, this has been Motor Mania you're listening to Dubai Eye on 103.8